0: And I'll just read the first nine verses, and then we'll read the rest as we come to it. So let us give our attention to God's perfect, never-changing, always-applicable word. Esther chapter 9, verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, which is the the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand before them. For the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews. For the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread through all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed Parshendathatha, Dolphan, Aspatha. Partha and Adalia, Ardatha, Parmashta, Arithya, Ardetha, and Vazdatha. How's that for a mouthful? The, the, the ten, <laughs> thanks. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. We'll stop there for now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you would help me explain it to them by your Holy Spirit and you would help their hearts be good soil for this good seed that's about to be planted there. Lord, that it would bear a good harvest in their lives for your glory alone. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And then this morning, I wanna share with you a short story. Um, kids, if you don't know what that means, a short story is usually fiction, which means it's not true. All right, so this story begins with a young girl uh, she 's in elementary school, and uh, she walks to school. so you can imagine the Cane Bay trails uh, walking to the school and uh, but unfortunately, um, there is a boy who's older and much larger who bullies her incessantly and so she tries to get up earlier to to get to school, but often she doesn 't get there before he finds her, and he 's really cruel to her. sometimes he pushes her down, uh, she would take her money to buy lunch um, and she quickly learned, she tried, he, he demanded it from her and, uh, and she resisted, but she got a black eye and she quickly learned that that resisting was really futile. No one knew. She made up a story about the black eye. It's really sad. And so it affected her personality. For some, somehow no one seemed to notice. No one saw that it was affecting this young girl. This is a sad story. And, and unfortunately, there are true versions of it as bullying does happen. You know, I think it's easy for us as Christians to feel like that little girl, to feel defeated, to feel like there's no hope, there's no use in resisting. The the world is so powerful, it's really, we, we have no chance. We're outnumbered, outpowered. And so Christians kind of feel like that, defeated. This morning, we're answering the question, look on page seven, we're answering this question. What reason do Christians have to be confident in the Lord? What reason do Christians have to be confident? we answer that in two ways. God's people have been victorious in the past. That's our passage today. And God's people will be victorious in the end. So let's begin with that first one. God's people have been victorious in the past. Okay, so we've got two edicts, both set for the 13th day of the 12th month. So if you haven't been with us, let me just go back all the way to chapter 3 and let me read you This is verse 13. 3.13 says this. Haman wrote, okay, so Haman's the villain of the story, right? So he made this edict. It said this. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Okay, that's edict number one made by the evil Haman. Here's edict. Fast forward to last week, chapter 8. We have Mordecai, who's risen to power, as we saw last week. Chapter 8, verse 11. Mordecai wrote, saying that the king allowed that the Jews, who were in every city, to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, women and children included, and to plunder their goods. All right, so we have these two rival edicts. Both set for the same day. What's going to happen? The million dollar question is, what happened on that day? Is there really anyone who's crazy enough to attack the Jews? Absolutely. There's a lot of people who hated the Jews. and They said, hey, we have our ticket. We can, uh, we can attack them on this day. But they had, the Jews also had an edict, didn't they? Look at verse one again. It says, now on the 12th day, or the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, those three precious words, the reverse occurred. Well, that's basically the, summarizes the whole book, isn't it? This book is full of reversals. The reverse occurred. And look at the end there. It says, the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. So that basically, then the rest of the book, the rest of this chapter is the working out of that. If you've ever listened to classical music, you hear the crescendo, the music builds and builds and builds and builds. And then finally, you get to this climatic moment. This is that moment in our book. It's been building, we've had the reversals. Haman has been crushed. Mordecai has been exalted. And then finally, they get victory over their enemies. It's pretty exciting. So let's look at how this plays out. Look at verse two and three. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. Look what it says next. No one could stand against them. Powerful words. For the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. Man, they were scared for their lives because these Jews. You know, it takes God to do that. It was not because they were this mighty fighting force. It was because God was and is moving in this story. Look at the next verse. Verse three. Oh, look who else jumps into the fun. All the officials of the provinces. Those are Persians, not Jews, just for record. The satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. Okay, so here's the, you've got all these leaders of all the provinces, they've got a choice. Well, let's see, we've got Haman's edict. Well, he has been disgraced and executed. We've got Mordecai, who's just risen to power. We probably should pick his team. They picked the right team. And so they're there. They are. Now the Persians are now helping in destroying the enemy. I mean, it just can't get better than this. It's amazing. This reversal that God has done. No one could stand against them. Look at verse 4. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread. Okay, through where? All the provinces. Okay, so from India to Africa. That's crazy. This guy, this Jew, everyone's talking about this Jew who, who rose to this great, great power. And look at the next verse. The Jews struck all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them, and, and did as they pleased with those who hated them. And then verse six, in Susa, the city itself, there's 500 people. So in the capital city, there's still 500 people who hate the Jews enough to go attack them. They all get, uh, get killed. Don't worry, I'm not going to read those 10 names again for my sake and yours. But the 10 sons of Haman, who are likely very powerful men in their own right, under the, who was the second in command, they too are killed. Remember back, this was, if you've been with us a while, think back, way back to chapter five, um, Haman goes to the first uh, feast, right? He goes home, he's so mad about something, about with Mordecai, and he brags about himself. You remember some of the things he bragged about? He bragged about his wealth and, how pow- and his power, right? How powerful he was. His 10 powerful sons, remember? Look at this. Every single thing that he bragged about is gone. All of his wealth, all of his empire, right? All of his mighty riches, who has them? Mordecai has them. All of his power, that's gone too. Mordecai has that. 10 sons, all dead. He himself is dead. God. I mean, I thought about naming this sermon. You don't know who you're messing with. I mean, it would be fitting. I mean, it's fitting of Haman. He did not realize who he's messing with when he messed with the living God. God obliterated Haman. He, he raised himself up against God. You remember last week you talked about 1 Peter 5, 6. It said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And even before that, it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I and mean, tell me this book is not a fulfillment of that. He opposed he opposed Haman right? didn't he? Absolutely crushed that man who rose up to destroy God's people. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's what Mordecai did. And God lifted him up, exalted him in due time. And then all the whole nation. I mean God really showed up in a big way. And the, the amazing thing is this is history. You know that first thing I told you, short story, not true. This actually happened. This is real history. 2,500 years ago in Persia, God's people were victorious. And this is just one book, one story. If you know your Old Testament, if you don't, start reading, there's all kinds of exciting things. God does this all the time through the history of the Jews. He is reversing things. He's defeating the enemies of the Jews. This is a reason. This is a reason that you can have confidence in the power of God because of this story, because of this history. Because God has not changed. He is still the same as he was that day. That leads us to our second point. There's another reason that we should be confident in the Lord. What's that second reason? God's people will be victorious in the end. Look at verse 10. So after it lists all the names of the sons, it says also killed the 10 sons of Haman. Verse 10. Son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, But they laid no hand on the plunder. All right, kids, I need your help. All right, so kids, you heard that line? It said, They laid no hands on the plunder. All right, listen as we go through the rest of our passage for that line. And then I'm going to ask you how many times it occurred. So it's important, and we'll explain it in a minute. They laid no hand on the plunder. Let's keep reading. All right. So, verse 11. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. How does the king respond? The king said to Queen Esther, In Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 people and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? And then he says, He's talking to Esther. Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? What else do you want, honey? In essence, he's saying, It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. And also the 10 sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa and the 10 sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they killed 300 men in Susa. But they laid no hand on the plunder. All right, kids, that should stand out to you. All right, I'll read more in a moment. I don't know, does anyone have a favorite sports team? You have a favorite sports team? How do you feel when they win? They win a big game. You're feeling pretty good, aren't you? Do you you celebrate? But then you talk to your friends, right? You talk to your friends about how great the victory was. I didn't make that up, right? Don't you do that? Is anyone with me? Anyone awake? Okay. Right, you do that you have your favorite sports team. This is a little like the king. He's, he's excited. He's like, hey, hun, did you hear? They killed 500 men here. Hey, what's happening everywhere else? And they killed the 10 sons. What else do you want, honey? So he, the, you can imagine him. He's just, he's excited. That's the way we should feel reading this. Just like when your sports team wins. God is having victory over those who wish to destroy the people of God. You know, I don't know if any of you had stories of your parents or grandparents who were in war and different things, and you say, boy, I'm glad they lived, because if they didn't live, I wouldn't live, right? Haven't you had things? But many of us have stories like that. It's like this of the Jews. You are not most of you are not Jewish, but if the Jews didn't exist, from the Jews came who? Jesus. That's right. Jesus. Jesus came from the Jews. Right? And then from Jesus came the gospel to the nations. Right, so this is kind of important that the people of God didn't get annihilated. So this is your team. You should be excited. From them came Jesus. Okay, so let's keep reading, kids. You remember the line you're looking for? Remember? All right, listen for it. All right, we're in verse 16. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but laid no hand on the plunder. This was on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar. On the fourteenth day they rested and made that day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the thirteenth day and on the fourteenth day and rested on the fifteenth day, making the day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages who lived in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. All right, so this whole feasting thing and the celebration, that's what the rest of the chapter is about. So next week we'll look a lot more at that. But kids, show me your hands. How many times did you hear that line, they laid no hands on the plunder? All right, I see some. All right, what else we got? All right, everybody said three was correct. I saw some threes there. Yeah, very good. So three times. So when something's repeated three times, it's probably important. What is the significance of the fact they laid no hand? Let me explain what that means first. So plunder is all the people's stuff. So all the bad guys are killed. And so normally in war, you take all their riches. Very normal. It's standard procedure in war. They didn't. They left all their stuff. That's kind of weird. It should come to note to us. Why is that? It's important because... They saw this, the Jews saw this as God's war, not their war. If it's their war, they get all the stuff, but this is God's war. Let's rewind way back. I talked about this some time ago in 1 Samuel 15. A guy named Saul, who's the king of the Jews, he fails at his job. He was supposed to go kill Agag and his people. And you might have remembered that Haman was an Agagite. There's a connection there. And so he didn't do his job. He took plunder. He, it was God's war and he didn't do it right. He took stuff. He left people living. And so then these evil, wicked people are still terrorizing the Jews way later. And so the Jews say, we aren't touching any of it. We learned our lesson. Saul got rejected as king. We aren't touching it. Okay, that's the importance. They didn't lay any hand on the plunder because it belonged to God. Okay, so we have 500 Susa. Plus 300, plus 75,000 throughout Persia. That's a lot of people who hated the Jews. It's a lot of people who were dead. Does that make you uncomfortable? So 75,800 people. Now, granted, in this passage, they're somewhat responding in self defense. Granted. But there are other passages that don't, there's no, there's not self-defense. God commands for a, a people to be annihilated. There are people who aren't Christians or who throw this in Christians' face, who say, I will never believe in a God who commands stuff like this. How evil and wicked. So we need to address this. So here we are. One of the things about preaching through books is you just get what the next passage is. And so there's really exciting things, but we have to address this. And if I don't address it, you're going to have to address it by yourself with your friends who throw this in your face. So here's some help. And for some of you, this might be a big deal. This might be something you wrestle with. Okay, so let's walk through how do we understand this. Okay, so let me step back for a second. Do you believe that in the end, at the very end, God is going to judge the world? Do you believe that in the end, God will judge and send the wicked to hell? Do you believe that? Scripture teaches this very clearly, that there will be a judgment in the end. And those who have not placed their faith in Christ, they will go to hell. Let me give you a couple verses. This is very clearly taught in many, many places. I'll give you just two. Hebrews nine twenty seven, 27. And justice is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So we live our life, Our life ends. There's not, we aren't aren't coming back. We end, our life ends and there's judgment, okay? That's one important verse. Jesus actually teaches in Matthew 25, the same idea. He says, when the son of man comes to his glory, who's the son of man? Jesus, okay? So Jesus is talking about himself. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations. Okay, so here's a picture. Jesus on his throne, all the nations out in front of him. And he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates goats from sheep. And he will place the sheep on his right, sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those are strong words from Jesus, aren't they? So I ask you again, do you believe that there will be a judgment in the end and that hell is real? Scripture teaches it very clearly. So I hope I hope that's not too controversial. You already believe that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make an argument from the greater to the lesser. Here's what I mean. If you believe that in the end there's a judgment and God will send the wicked into hell, then it's much easier to understand something much smaller, which is sometimes God enacts a little bit of his justice on the wicked here on earth. So this far worse. This far worse much less. This, the far worse, someone being thrown into burning fire that never ends and they suffer forever. It's awful, right? That's what judgment is. Here, they're dying. Death is very quick compared to that. Death is way less painful than that. And so sometimes God enacts justice on this earth for people to see, which is a tiny picture of the greater. So if you believe this, it's much smaller to believe this. Does the logic make sense of that? And so when someone says, how can you believe in a God who would kill people? Then you can say, well, do you believe that God actually, that's small. You think that's hard. I got something far worse for you. There's actually an eternal judgment. But for some reason, people think this, they can accept the one, but they have such a hard time with this. Why is that? Well, part of it's because we're humans and we're here and we see this. That's kind of theoretical to us, isn't it? Like you've never seen it? But we know from CNN, we've seen on the news, from Fox News, right? You know what, how awful an evil war is, right? And so we have this, we have, we have our sensibilities know this better. So that's the first thing that can help you. Does that make sense? Greater to the lesser. That's very important. Okay, there's another thing. So not only does God sometimes do it through the Jews. Now, one of the important thing is, is there, is there the nation of Christians like, is there the nation of Jesus? No, Nigeria, no, right? Christians are spread through all the world, through every country, right? And we're working on translating, right, to get languages, to get the gospel into every language, right? But we're just spread all out. So this isn't happening anymore. This is an Old Testament thing when there were a people of God. He had marked out one people, right? We marked off some, some gainer kids last week, right? They're part of the people of God. They're, they're, kids are being baptized, adults baptized all around the world, right? But they aren't baptized into like a nation, a fighting force, right? So I hope you understand the difference. Things have changed. But there's another thing to know. Sometimes God does it by his own hand. Noah, in the days of Noah, what what was it like if you walked the streets in the days of Noah? Happy place, not happy place. All right, so here this is Genesis 6. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Could you imagine? I mean, I know some of you teach in schools and you think, man, middle schoolers, there's something else. But this is worse than that. Evil intentions constantly. Think constantly think of the worst thing possible to do in doing it. That's what humanity looked like at this stage of, of life. God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things, birds of the heavens. I am sorry that I made them, God said. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So what did he do? You know the story, kids? He built a really big, there you go, really big ark. So he and his family were saved. The rest of humanity, how were they judged? A flood. The flood waters was God's judgment. Still tiny. Drowning is Nothing compared to this, okay? We still have this argument from the greater to the lesser. God judged humanity. We see a tiny picture of God's justice through his own hands. We saw this with Pharaoh. If you know about the Exodus, all the Jews get out. They're running for their lives. They hit a Red Sea. They got a problem. Pharaoh's army is coming for them. What happens? It opens up, right? Isn't that true, kids? The waters split. They go through. And then Pharaoh comes behind, weapons to Pharaoh and his army. Right? So God judges them. Tiny judgment. So sometimes he uses the Jews. Sometimes he uses his own hand. Both of those are with water, actually. There's lots of other stories where God is, we see a little picture of judgment. Part of the reason is it helps us understand this is coming. He is not joking, right? You see a tiny picture of justice and you realize, God ain't joking, right? Remember the, you don't realize who you're messing with, right? There will be justice. The problem is many of us are like that little schoolgirl walking to school. Like we haven't seen any justice, We basically learned that you just hand over your lunch money and you just eat a big dinner, right? Because the world is bigger than us. And so we read passages like this. And part of the purpose is to understand not only is God just in history and he has protected and rescued his people, like in this passage, but he will do that in the end. Let's talk about the end some more. Oh, before that, there's another angle. Have you heard of the country of Ukraine? Now I know probably you've never thought of that country before. No, right? Everyone's seen about Ukraine. I've seen more Ukrainian flags than ever before, right? How do you feel when you see on the news that some Russian tanks got destroyed? Don't you have a little bit of joy? Like they've been annihilating, they've been attacking the Ukrainians. And so now we have, because see, you're in a peace country. No one's bombing America. You are not in fear. And so there 's two struggles: one is the little girl, you feel defeated and you feel like, "I have no hope. The other is is that you 're like, "Well, why would God ever kill anybody right or if you 're walking the streets of ukraine you 're like, "I would like justice, right When you see injustice as injustice rises people 's desire for justice rise, and so the more peacetime you have, the more we're like, "No, no, God should just be like this really nice person that never would hurt a fly, you get hurt and 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 mistreated, you're ready for God not to be like that, right? And so it is. So we have a number of reasons and angles, and you can use any or all of those with someone that throws these passages in your face and say, why would a good God ever bring, kill a bunch of people? Say it's nothing for what's to come. Think about Ukraine. You you, you do. We actually celebrate when there is justice. Many, many angles on this. So, but I want to keep going. I want you to look at about Jesus. You see, with that final judgment, somebody's coming back. And that somebody ain't gonna be riding on a donkey, I tell you what. Remember Jesus or palm branches? Where we do that, and he's like this nice, docile man coming in. When he's coming back, he will not be docile, he'll be riding on a war horse Well, and who is he bringing? He's bringing all his angels with him. You do not wanna face those guys. And so he'll come. You remember Mordecai, the fear of Mordecai fell on everybody. You just wait till Jesus shows up. The fear of Jesus will fall on everyone. Revelation 6 says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave or free, hid themselves in the caves. Why is everyone hiding? Among the rocks and the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us. Why? Why are they hiding? From the face of him who's seated on the throne. Who's that? from the wrath of the Lamb. That is Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes back, all the great men of the world are gonna be hiding in caves and saying, no, we can't face him. You know, it says every knee will bow. Well, that's because they're so scared. They're falling down in terror because they're about to be destroyed. Time's up. Time's up. We don't know when it's coming. He said it could come tomorrow. It could come before the sermon's over. Jesus is coming back. And so now would be the time to bow your knee as a humble servant before it's too late, right? That now's the time that, that we, most of you, there, are, there might be some here who have not in your heart done that. This would be a great day to do that because you don't want to wait until you see this great war horse. It'll be too late then, okay? So Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back. What is he going to do? He will bring justice. He will bring justice. Because remember, we said not only in the past, But in the end, in the end, he will bring justice. It's so easy to feel like we're that little girl, defeated and lacking any confidence. So when we read passages like this, it should encourage us. When we read and remember how it's all gonna end, it brings us encouragement. But the problem is, brothers and sisters, as you look around you, you can be tricked into believing that your God is weak and distant. You can be tricked into believing that your God is weak and distant, but he's not. He's not weak. Just because his name's not mentioned in this book, it doesn't mean he's not present. I mean, have we not seen? This chapter could not exist if God was not on his throne, sovereignly controlling everything. He is not weak and distant. You know what his resume is? This is his resume. Story after story of his faithfulness, his power enacted through history. And it speaks of the end. It speaks of how it's all going to come to an end. You know, the Christians in the early church, they had unbelievable confidence. Nothing stopped them. Why? Was it because they had a great Mordecai? A Mordecai in Rome. No, they had Jesus, who was walking around like an average homeless guy, right, teaching everybody. All right, The fear of Jesus did not fall on everybody. Many loved him, but he was not terrifying. But those Christians saw Jesus humiliated, executed, risen from the dead, goes up to heaven, and they're fearless. They're going out, and though, how, do they, how does it end up for them? They all get executed, right? All the, all the apostles, they had no fear, they had confidence. Was there confidence in a Mordecai? No. What they learned from Jesus was we can be humiliated because in the end, there will be justice. And for that end, they lived. You too, brothers and sisters, can live both because of the past, what God has done, and what's coming. It can give you courage. Now, whether there is deliverance in history, there are many, many stories of missionaries and lots of people how God has given great deliverance. But in the end, we know how it's going to end. And it's going to be glorious. You know, I didn't actually tell you that whole short story. You want to know the rest of it? You know how the story ends, kids? Remember that little girl? Remember the little girl who got the black eye? The little girl who was so defeated? That little girl had an older brother. Her brother had been deployed. And he finally came home. He quickly realized, something's not right with my little sister. And he he watched her. And he finally figured out something's not right. So one day, she's walking home from school. You can just imagine the Cane Bay Trail. She gets shoved down by the bully who she didn't get ahead of. Well, out steps from the woods, who? Her older brother, in his camo. And he, he picks up the boy, looking eye to eye. And you just see the terror come across this little boy. And he says, never touch my sister again. That boy ran all the way home. That little girl never had any more trouble with that bully because the big brother showed up. I want to tell you what Hebrews 2.11 says. He, being Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is your older brother. Jesus is your older brother. This is the reason that Christians can have confidence. In the past in Persia, God showed up. Lots of other stories in scripture. In the end, Jesus is coming back because not only is your big brother coming back, your big brother's here. Your big brother's here. His spirit is in you. It gives you the same courage it gives the apostles. I don't know what you're facing, but the Lord does. Some of you do have enemies. So you have people who want to destroy you. And so you just have the devil who wants to destroy you and is constantly trying to intimidate you. I've been reading through the Psalms, as many of you know, I'm in the mid-30s and the 30s are great. These are, when I read, these are at 35 this morning. If you ever end up in a season where you have enemies, read there, read the mid-30s. They're very, very encouraging because they just talk about, the psalmist is saying, their people are trying to destroy me for no reason. God, show up. God, show up. There's such good encouragement all through scripture. God will come in the end. He's come in the past. You can have confidence today to face any situation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you this is true. We thank you that we can't even fathom what it's gonna look like when you come back. I mean, imagine it sounds pretty amazing and awe-strucking, but Lord, we have nothing to compare it to. Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. I pray that you would give them courage to face whatever they're facing. Lord, please do what only you can do for your glory, like you did in the early church. Do here in hope. Do in Cane Bay. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.